Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show by uh, clicking on the subscribe via email button on the left-hand side of the screen. Shows are not updated on a regular basis, uh, so this is a good way to get notified when a new show is posted. It is my pleasure today to be talking to our oldest, most popular guest, Michael Hampton. He's a trader based out of Hong Kong, uh, but uh, that's not where he originally comes from. He's from Detroit, Mike. Hello, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Dominic, I'm very well and I'm pleased to be here. Good stuff. It's it's lovely to be talking to you again. Now, the, the big excitement, if you like, at the moment is the fact that gold in the last uh, couple of days has broken out to new highs. Uh, what, what do you make of the move? Well, I mean, we've got a good seasonal, we've got a good setup for gold here. It's been in a trading range for several months. Um, it's now just broken up, uh, broken out above the uh, trading range. It's September, which seasonally is a very good time for gold. I mean, the best time of the year for gold is typically between the end of August and early October, and right in the middle of that now. So uh, it's easy, it, with those facts in mind, to say we have an important breakout. Um, but, but there are some problems with this. Um, the first one is that we've had a series of highs, and each one has come on lower volume. And that in itself is very, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a possible yellow light that this might not be for real. And now we had, what, two days ago, the day before yesterday, um, we had a breakout and pretty good volume that day. It wasn't as high as one or two of the previous peaks but it was higher than the last peak. And it looks possible that it's a one-day wonder. Now, I think we're going to know the answer pretty soon. I think we'll know the answer by the end of the day or maybe by the end of the week whether this gold um, move is for real. And if it is, it should hold around these highs for another day or two and then start moving higher, and the volume needs to pick up. If it doesn't pick up, it goes down instead, and the volume picks up on the downside, that's it. We've seen an important top. Well, uh, I, I, I agree with you that the, the volume is interesting. Actually, I just uh, while you were talking just then, Larry Pesavento has just Skyped me asking to do another interview. And his, his calls on gold are normally interesting, so it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. Um, the, uh, what I would say about the high in gold is that although gold has broken out to new highs against the US dollar, it is still uh, below its all-time highs against the euro, the yen... Uh, and, of course, the pound. Silver has not broken out to multi-year highs. It's sitting, you know, against that uh, resistance uh, from the high it made in uh, 2008. Similarly, uh, the gold stocks, uh, the the major gold stocks, are also um, sitting against upper resistance. Uh, you know, the Hueys around about that 500 mark. So um, they're all at, at places where they could make a double top 
rather than a breakout to new high. So I would describe it as a as an unconfirmed breakout. Um, looking at the seasonal pattern, uh, it's interesting. You know, May is often a good time to sell the stock market, but actually the the, the sell in May um, trade came a week or two early uh, in 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 mid to late April, around about April the twenty third. Um, it, it, so you wonder if if the cycles and the the, the 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 summer lows in gold seem to be coming earlier and earlier every year, more like in June or July rather than August. So maybe you know, the seasonal cycle is a few weeks ahead. Yeah, I think that's pretty likely. And I think what's going to call it, uh, what's going to make the difference here is going to be the U.S. dollars. So when you talk to Larry, you might ask him if you talk to him about his view on the dollar. But what I've seen on the dollar is on the day of that breakout in gold, uh, the dollar, quote unquote, surprisingly broke below 82. And almost everybody in the world now thinks that the dollar is headed to 80. And in fact, that's a good support level on my chart too. But if you bought, if you look at a chart, a one-year chart of the U.S. dollar, and you draw some trend lines, 81 is a very nice trend line on the way up. And it's possible that it's going to surprise everybody and hold 81 and start rallying. And the first sign that we actually are seeing a rally in the dollar from that 81 level or even 80 would be a breakout above 82. So I think the dollar is going to tell a story here about gold, and the dollar will also tell a story about stocks. Because if the dollar starts rallying here, I think we're going to see stocks uh, begin to tumble as well. But it, it is possible, of course, for uh, gold and the dollar to rally together. It's happened quite a lot this year, and it's happened in the past. Yeah, of course, it is, it, it's always possible. But, you know, if we're talking about a surprise and a break of the seasonal pattern, then that's what you'd be looking for. Because I don't really see gold coming down unless we have a strong dollar. The, a lot of people have been moaning about the juniors not performing, but the juniors this last month, even if it's, it's the senior juniors, if you like, uh, as measured by the ETF GDXJ, that's broken out to new highs. And even some of the explorers have had uh, nice little boosts. Uh, you know, we, we are in a, in a strong up move at the moment. Yeah, look, I want to pass on my congratulations to you. And I think you must be laughing all the way to the bank because you've made a number of really good calls in some of those small stocks. And thank you. I'm in one or two of them myself. So you must be fairly pleased right, these days. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased. Uh, um, the, the, the junior expl- I've just published a new report for Money Week and uh, the, the junior explorers that I've tipped in there have, have, have uh, without exception, done very well. There's one of the one of the junior producers that I've tipped that's done less well, but that's to do with... Well, it's it's a company called Ascot Mining, and it's a, due to um, uh, various problems that they've had, almost beyond their control, really. But apart from that, I'm 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 very pleased with my tips. Well, that's great, and you know, I I don't know whether we mention names here. Uh, I you won't can, unless I'm happy you. To. I'm more than happy to mention names. Well, I you know, I I, I have to say that uh, Savant is one that I think we're both in, and Horseshoes another, and. Those stocks, um, well, I think they basically tripled their sell from the time we bought them. So that's pretty good performance. It's very good. It's very good. I, I think Horseshoe's a, 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 a company for the long term, Horseshoe. I mean, it's just so early stage at the moment. You know, it's, 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 it's worth riding. Well, it, it is a bit of an interesting dilemma here because, uh, you know, some people on GEI, because... Uh, you know, I haven't been I haven't been uber bullish on gold. They assume I'm bearish, 
And the reality is I've been sitting with a net long gold position and long a few interesting gold stocks and long quite a number of juniors. So I'm enjoying this rally, too, along with all the gold bugs, but uh, playing it more from the stock perspective. I mean, one of the stocks that's been really good to me, um, and it hasn't moved up three times or anything, but it's a nice stock, and I think it's one to uh, buy on dips, is a stock called Gold Wheaton. I was going to mention them, actually. It's the, your kind of junior royalty company, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they, they basically put together most of their gold royalties um, when their stock was around $4, and that more or less reflects the valuation of their company when the gold price was lower, and they were putting those deals together. The stock's now trading for about three and a half bucks, and, you know, I, I own quite a few shares in that one, and I'd probably be a buyer uh, on a mild dip in gold prices if at the same time gold wheat and drop back to about $3. I think it's a pretty good buy around those levels unless we're seeing a collapse in gold. But I see this as an interesting way to play the upside in gold because Have you these seen... guys don't actually produce gold. They, yeah. uh, they take the payments. Have you seen Goro recently? Well, you know, I try not to look at Goro because I sold way too soon. Eighteen and a half dollars it's trading at. Oh, there you go. That, I mean, that's been a fantastic uh, story. And, um, and they're paying, you know, they're paying a that. dividend on a monthly basis now. That's great. Well, you know, Bill's done a wonderful job of pulling that all together and delivering on, uh, you know, on what he told people he was going to do. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see that because so many of the juniors don't deliver, and there's a case where they really have. Well, I, I just think if I was to... If I was setting up a junior mining company, that should be the template on which it's modelled. Sorry, one of the great things about that is that he's because he's a big shareholder and his family's a big shareholder. He's been pretty careful about this, you know, about selling shares. I mean, there aren't that many shares outstanding in that company. No, a tight share structure, no warrants. He he found some assets. He knew that uh, they were that they that they the mineralisation was superb, and uh, he's raised money. He's consistently raised money at higher prices. He's brought in a major mining company just as they were going into production to, to protect it. And uh, he always said, we're going to list on the Amex and we're going to pay a dividend. And he's doing both of those things. Yeah, and, you know, by doing it the way he did it, he really didn't spend a huge amount of money to get his initial listing going. It was on a very uh, much on a, uh, you know, on a budget cost level getting listed. So... Good on him, and, uh, you know, that's another lesson for people. So it's good to see that kind of story. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, it was easy. If we're talking now that, you know, gold has maybe got a little bit ahead of itself, which you could argue, uh, you know, there's no way of knowing, you know, it's tempting to take some money off the table. But what you have to do is if you have money in a good company that's done well, you've got to make sure you buy back in again. Because anyone, for example, with Goro, who took money off the table, and maybe, you know, they sold some at $4 and it went back to $2.50 and they thought they were very clever. But if they didn't buy those st that stock back at $2.50, you know, they're, they're sitting looking at a, a stock that's $18 and paying a dividend. And yeah. not having a, you know, not having a piece of it. Yeah, well, you can't get everything right. I mean, the good news is that... You know, I wasn't having a go at you there, Mike. I was just saying, you know, you've got to be disciplined to, to buy back into yeah, to quality you do. companies. Yeah, you and sometimes, sometimes you achieve that. And, um, you know, if you, if you can, if, if you've got cash when the stock is down and you've got courage, because you need both, um, then you can, add, you can add back in. And, I, you know, I've been pretty good about doing that with various stocks. What I typically do is when it doubles, I like to sell half. And, and then if it, 
if it dips, I'll, I'll buy back in. I mean, uh, along those lines, I mean, Savant's an interesting story where I've actually sold some uh, at around, around 20 cents, and um, I'm going to be putting some of that money back into a placement at 18 cents, and one of the reasons for doing that is to pick up the warrants on the placement. Okay, let's say that gold does drop. What are you looking at? What kind of... Well, I guess my, at this point, my ideal target, I'd be watching the 144-day moving average. Yeah. And uh, I think that's somewhere around $1,130 now, something like that. So that's the sort of level I'd be looking at. If it hits that with a lot of volume, I'd probably step back and you know, only buy a few... Uh, you know, a few shares or a few ounces of gold or whatever and wait and see. But if it hits that in light volume, I, I, I think I'd be a very aggressive buyer at that point. Um, what about, uh, now, what, what else should we discuss? Now, you you, you had a podcast uh, which you produced with this uh, chap, Gonzalo Lira, discussing the, uh, um, well, it's the old favourite, inflation against deflation. Why, why don't you just describe... Uh, what happened with that podcast? <laughs> well, they can read about it on my website, so I'll just give you a very quick summary of this story. But uh, it really started with uh, another podcast um, of, of about two weeks ago where I basically um, called Miss Shedlock and did a three-way with him and a guy called Eric Townsend here in Hong Kong. And we updated the, the forecasts that were on your website on Frisbee's Bowls in Paris back in December. And uh, in the course of our conversation... Um, the, you know, the treasuries and hyperinflation came up. And I asked Mitch whether he'd seen uh, Gonzalo's article, uh, which was called How Hyperinflation Happens. And uh, Mitch said he had, but he didn't really want to discuss it. And he made some sort of unflattering remarks about the article. And uh, Gonzalo saw that or heard that somehow and left me a note saying he, he wanted to... Uh, speak to me, uh, do a podcast, and maybe debate Mish. And uh, I, I thought his argument was pretty interesting. I could see some potential holes in it, but I liked, I thought it would be good to discuss it. I got him on, I did a podcast, and uh, Gonzalo has uh, been posting quite a lot on Zero Hedge. So he, um, he had a, a brief article mention of the podcast on Zero Hedge. And next thing I knew... The podcast had really gone viral. In about two or three days, I got something like seven thousand downloads on the on the two five thousand or seven thousand downloads on the two uh, podcasts. So it was you know it was a huge uh, uh, wave of interest, and uh, I think it's partly because of the subject, and also because um, Gonzalo subsequently uh, wrote another article for Zero Hedge, essentially throwing down the gauntlet for a uh, for, uh, mission challenging informally to a debate. And, uh, I mean, I can go on from there, but that's kind of what happened in the first days of the whole thing. I see. It's amazing how quickly these things go viral. My, what amazes me about the inflation-deflation debate is um, just how upset and heated everyone gets over it. And I, I was at a dinner the other night with a with a couple of you know a, a, you know well known writer for Money Week and a, and a, a well known economist, and uh, everyone had to stand up and give their you know two minute debate on whatever subject, and uh, uh, I said that it, the inflation deflation debate is uh, one of the most no matter where you stand on it it's one of the most uh, hotly contested um, 
subjects in you know economic subjects in the world at the moment and this economist on my left just went no it isn't it's just not i mean it's just (laughs) absolutely not at all and i said well no matter whether you stand on the side of inflation or deflation it's still a hotly contested no and i and i said well he goes well where is it hotly contested and i said well (sighs) you just need to look at the hackles that get raised as soon as the subject comes up on on any internet chat room oh the internet and you and uh (laughs) And then, <laughs> then I said, uh, well, look at um, a writer like Liam Halligan. He stands very... Th- this economist was very much in the deflation camp, but he was so rooted in the deflation camp, he wouldn't even accept the fact that it is a hotly contested subject. Uh, you know, and, 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 um, and, and I said that, you know, if you look at Liam Halligan, who's very much an inflationist, and you look at the amount of comments he gets at the end of his articles in The Telegraph and how red his Telegraph articles are, you know, surely that in itself uh, um, is proof that it is a hotly contested subject. Liam Halligan doesn't know what he's talking about. And you were like, well, it doesn't matter whether you agree with him, it's still hotly contested. Then the, the, the well-known deflationist writer turned to me and said, no, it, you say it's inflation of the money supply and deflation of credit. And I said, well, in broad, simple terms, that is what we're seeing. And he said, no, it's not inflation of the money supply. You, you've got that wrong. And, and I said, well, what's 200 billion of quantitative easing? It doesn't matter. It hasn't got through to the people. OK, well, th- that's fair enough. But if you get too wedded to the deflation camp, then you, you would have missed the whole inflationary bounce from, um, uh, from March 2009. It's not an inflationary bounce, it's deflation. Well, I said, if, if, uh, you just look at the bond market. And I said, it doesn't matter if, if, if it's, you know, academically it's, de- it's deflation. If you get too wedded to that way of thinking, you would have missed that stock market bounce, as I know you did because of the way you were writing about it. And he just he refused to accept that you're seeing both, basically. And it, it, it's just wonderful to see how uh, rude, blinkered and opinionated people get over and when most of the time they don't even agree on definition let alone yeah. uh, what what's actually going on in the real world well you know look that's you know what this reminds me of it reminds me of the uh the, you know the, the what became the subprime crisis where for a long time the banks were all telling each other that you know these uh, these assets are fine there may be a little problem with some of the lower rated tranches, but, you know, all these bits of paper that we put together and have been stamped by, uh, by the rating agencies are going to be just fine. We can put them on our books and, you know, we can treat them as AAA, real AAA assets and so forth. And then all of a sudden, uh, there were a few uh, people out there who didn't see things quite that way, John Paulson and uh, a few other people. And they started shorting them, and then all of a sudden, the consensus woke up and realized they had a real problem on their hands. So, I wonder if that's going to happen here. And what? So people get too wedded to inflation, and we get a deflationary bust, or too wedded to deflation, and we get an inflationary bust? Is that is well, that way? It could be either way, but I think many people in the city, and you can tell it by the way they're buying bonds. Um, and, you know, and that isn't just the city, obviously, it's sovereign governments as well, but they, you know, have decided for the time being, just look at bond rates, that, you know, we're in a deflationary period here. And, uh, I mean, you know, stocks haven't really uh, come down to the point they should have if, uh, if they were staying pace with, with bonds as they usually do. But, um, you know, 
the, the bond markets decided that we're in deflationary times here. And, um, you know, this could be a little bit of a group think situation. And uh, so if it is like that, then um, the shock when it comes and the move when it comes is going to be just enormous. I really haven't totally made my mind up, and I don't think we really have the answer yet. Um, so I, that's one reason I'm interested in this debate, because I'm trying to collect the points and the arguments on either side and weigh them and see what might cause a swing from one view to another. And I think I've got a pretty good idea in my own mind. I'm writing an article about that, which I actually just put up on the website so people can refer to that. But in a nutshell, um, I think it really depends in the U.S. on whether the Congress is going to accommodate price shocks when they come uh, or try to prevent uh, you know, a further drop in the economy by sending out checks because I think, you know, we can get an inflationary shock as Gonzalo Lira has spoken about, but I don't personally think that shock will be sustained unless more money is fed into the hands of people to kind of keep it going. And uh, there's a chance, and it's only a chance, that we'll step back from the brink by uh, implementing what I call the haircuts, haircuts, and sharing the pain policies. And uh, if you want to know what that's all about, just look at the UK. Because I think the UK is the, the new coalition government's done a pretty good job. It's uh, coming in quickly with a very different approach to economics in the UK. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. And uh, I have to say, I absolutely love what they're doing. Uh, I, I, I mean, I feel sorry for those in the public sector who are going to be laid off. But, but nevertheless, I think in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's absolutely right. We have to wait and see. Um, I mean, at the moment, the public sector is going to take the haircut and the city isn't. Uh, and so, you know, it has to be the, the you know, it has to be the fair. I think, like you well, say, the haircut has to be shared. But, sure, um, and I think you just, you know, those key words in that sentence are at the moment because, I mean, I think you can, you know, easily imagine a scenario where spending slows down, the economy slows down, earnings slow down, and stocks drop, and uh, there'll be some problems in the banking sector in the UK. I think there's no doubt about that, especially if house prices come down a lot because um, that's a real vulnerability, and there will be probably, if that all happens, a need for a second banking bailout within the next 12, 18, 24 months. And uh, at that point, I think the city will probably find that it's not getting uh, much sympathy from the average uh, stressed out uh, taxpayer and uh, maybe laid off uh, public sector worker. They're going to find they're on their own. Yeah, here's, here's, here's um, a little bit of a story. A friend of um, mine is, uh, you know, a comedian friend of mine is married to a solicitor. So between the two of them, they have quite a nice income. And uh, they bought a three-bed flat in Putney right at the top of the market. And he, he knew it was the top of the market because I told him. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, that's not quite right. I told him it was the top of the market when he was buying and he was aware of the risks. But his, uh, mm. his missus wanted to buy and that, that's fair enough. Uh, but because of... Um, subsequently when they came to renegotiate their mortgage uh it was uh, it, you know it was the middle of the credit crunch so they they fixed their rate at something like six or seven percent and they were paying 
in uh, in monthly mortgage repayments something like two thousand six hundred pounds a month. They've just renegotiated their mortgage. They have the same amount of debt, but they've gone on to I don't even know if it's a, a variable rate or a new fixed rate. But their monthly repayments have come from two gone from two thousand six hundred a month to a thousand a month. I mean that's such well, a big jump down in monthly repayments. Huge. And it, it, yeah. it gives you an idea of how, even though the housing market may be largely speaking stagnant, those who own a huge amount of debt against their house are not feeling any pain whatsoever. Now, if interest rates go up, then they will be decimated, or many in many cases they'll be decimated because it will happen just as their earnings go down. But while interest rates are low, the housing market is okay. Well, I, I suppose that... The nightmare scenario for the U.S. and for the U.K. is the same, and that is at some point there's a run on the currency. And uh, speaking of which, I see the euro is now at 130 point something. My gosh. Anyway, um, that there'll be a run on the currency, and uh, at that point, the central banks are going to have to raise rates to protect their currencies. And that will become a huge nightmare scenario for all the major Western economies. Will there be a run on the currency? Because because every currency is playing the same game. Everyone wants a cheaper currency. Yeah, um, well, I, I see your point. But I think what's the maneuvering that's going on right now is, is, is they're really trying to force China to, uh, by individually um, devaluing their currencies, they're going to try and leave the, uh, the renminbi um, and a few of the Asian currencies on their own. And that drama is sort of being played out, you know, may, have, may have been started to be played out you know, today. So we're going to have to watch the renminbi. Uh, my partner is quite long renminbi at the moment. It's not so easy for me to buy them, so I'm happy to see that. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think in the long run, you know, I have my manic swing scenario. I think the only way to balance the world again really is going to have to be a devaluation of Western currencies uh, against the creditor current the, the currencies of the creditor countries you know mainly in Asia here's, and, uh, here's a thought for you Mike uh, I, I interviewed Ian Gordon yesterday and one of the things he said is that in Kondratiev winter the main thing you don't want to own is debt you, you don't want to have you don't want to have any debt and you don't want to own any debt now a lot of people say in deflation you should earn uh, you should own cash but cash in its modern form is really debt because it is a credit-based economy. So, uh, you know, all that, you know, points to owning gold. And, you know, for all this talk of gold may correct from 1270 where we are or 1260 where we are back to, you know, 1130, you know, it's possible. But if you don't buy back in at 1130, we'll eventually go back above 1250, I'm sure. And cause, because in the grand scheme of things, Gold is in a bull market. It's probably it's in a developed bull market, but it is still in a bull market. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm I'm very friendly to gold in the sort of medium term, um, but I don't think we can rule out uh, that an equity sell off if it comes, and we really haven't seen it yet. Much of one um, that could temporarily reduce gold prices and gold shares. But if you like gold, you might like gold shares anymore, provided. They're paying good dividends because if gold keeps rising, then some of these dividend-paying gold shares are going to be a great investment because the value of the gold they're selling is going to be going up. Their dividend is going to be rising, and you're going to get a nice double whammy positive effect from that. Um, I know. And so, they're, you know, they're bulletproof. that's something to look at. They're bulletproof. 
Well, they're almost bulletproof. Yeah. I mean, I think they probably would be dragged down a bit, maybe quite a lot, in fact, by uh, by uh, an equity uh, drop if we see one. And I think we might be fairly close to one. I think you, you know, if you do talk to Larry, I think he's looking for another turn here, sort of imminently, um, imminently. If if uh, if I understood him on the Tom O'Brien show this morning, so you know, maybe he's going to be right this time. Um, Bob actually, Hoy's looking for one as well here. Yeah, and you know the, the, what's happened is, I mean, the the uh, rally got a second um, a second uh, win because it re- people really got too bearish. I mean, perhaps the Hindenburg Omen was too widely talked about, and uh, other bearish forecasts, and people got too bearish and they loaded up on puts and things, and that sort of prevented the market from from really falling, and now it's brought it back up. But this this rally we've seen may be close to an end. Uh, it looks a bit that way to me. And the drop that we maybe we're hoping to see in, in early September might be late September or October or even in November. But uh, I don't think we're out of the woods yet for for, uh, for the equity markets, not by a long shot. I, I'm looking, we're, we're at about 12, 12, 12, 20, 12, 30 on the S&P. And uh, I'm looking for uh, falls into October. I'm looking, for a, I'm looking for a mid to late October low based on the four-year presidential cycle. What do you think of that one? You you mean eleven twenty five, right? Sorry, I beg your pardon, eleven twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I could still see a low below at eleven below a thousand, maybe as low as nine hundred, or even eight fifty. That kind of level would would be uh, would be good, and then maybe a nice bounce uh, into next year, and then who knows, maybe a lower low in two thousand eleven or two thousand twelve. I really don't think we're out of the woods on this yet, and I think before it's over. Um, the equity markets are going to be stress tested by higher interest rates. And that's what will really get the stock market the, to fall. The, the, the problem with interest is every policymaker, every central banker is, is, knows that they, the damage that higher rates will do. So they will, they're doing everything they can not to put them up. Now, Well, yeah, I mean, everybody likes free lunches and, uh, you know, perpetual prosperity. But, you know, the reality has a way of interfering with that. And and but what will drive rates higher? The 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 a run on the currency. Well, I, I think it could be a series of dominoes where you know one country after another goes through Greece and Greece's interest rates are already been forced up quite a bit. So uh, the markets then next attack Spain or Italy or whatever, and then they move on to. I always thought the UK was going to be ahead of the US. I don't really see that anymore. I think. Uh, I think David Cameron and uh, the coalition have managed to uh, put the UK towards the back of the queue instead of at the front. I, I, I really admire what they've done. Um, listen, Mike, we, we've talked for half an hour and, uh, you know, that, that, that is the limit. That is, uh, people don't want to hear any more than half an hour of us talking. <laughs> That's fine with me. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to give out your website? Sure, it's globaledgeinvestors.com. Uh, there'll probably be a little thread on this, so please come and have a look and comment if you can. Good stuff. Frisbee's Michael Hampton, thank you very much. presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 